Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. We've finished the year in a bit of a crazy way. We've started it in a little bit of a crazy way. Uh, Every year holds something of its own. uh, And as you wish each other a happy new year, a common question is, you know, have you got plans for the year ahead? And there's some things that we'll be planning for. Then there's other things that just come upon us that we have absolutely no idea uh, are going to be there for us. And some of those things are going to be wildly exciting and fun and great and encouraging. And some of those things are just going to be really, really difficult. They're going to be things that happen within our lives that, that we have no idea what to do with that. And we started a new series last week called Anchored. The idea being that there are some practices as we follow Jesus that can be the anchor points for our faith no matter what comes in the highs and lows of the year ahead of us because sure enough, it'll happen, right? There'll be those things that are good and bad. But I just wonder as we enter into this new time of the year and we we think about the things that we'd like to do, you know, the things, our ambitions, maybe some of those, you know, new year things that we, we have set aside that we say, this is where I'd like to go and do and be and all of those various different things. I wonder how many of those imaginings, those things that are going on in our lives are shaped by the priority of being a disciple of Jesus. Some of them are perfectly good. Lose weight, exercise more, spend more time with family, you know, whatever it might be, project that you have going on. Some of the, I just want to know, is the filter that you have for your resolutions or the year ahead, are they based first and foremost in a prioritization of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of him? See, the main game for all of us is to be these followers of Jesus. It's learning to live in a constant state of connection with the Holy Spirit as we invite him into every moment, as we learn to be with Jesus in everything that we do. And that becomes increasingly difficult in a world of chaotic digital noise that's going on all the time for us in every sphere of our lives. But to experience the life of Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus, we need to be able to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we all should walk around in masseur sandals and, you know, kind of head off into the the, the Netherlands with a little bit of, you know, just a robe on. I'm not talking about a first century lifestyle. What I'm talking about is the ways he moved with his father, the way he moved with God. I want you to understand that if we're following a way of Jesus, that you need to know that Jesus was a rabbi. He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He attended synagogue, not the church. He celebrated the Sabbath, not a Sunday morning like we are right now. He, you know, celebrated the Jewish Passover and and the Jewish Pentecost, not Christmas or Lent. So it's important for us to remember the the heritage and the the context of of what we're going to talk about as one of the main things that anchored Jesus in in his life as a follower of God. And that was the thing we're going to talk about this morning is prayer. 
Prayer is essential for Jesus in his lifestyle. It was as much as it was about being a good Jewish young man as it was in modeling to us what it means to have a vital and alive relationship with our Father. The idea isn't that we just learn about prayer, not that you can just sit here and go, I tick, I heard another message about prayer. The idea is that we ourselves would take up prayer as one of those practices that are going to anchor us in the year ahead, no matter whether the times are good or bad or indifferent, that we have one of the practices nailed down is that we would be a people of prayer. We'd be a praying people. So... I'm going to start this morning's message that I think is something that's relatively simple but foundational and it's core skill for anybody with regards to following Jesus in his lifestyle of prayer and it's built around a Bible verse. So this morning I'm going to get us to learn a Bible verse. Are you excited about that? Yeah? I'm glad that some of you are excited about learning a, a memory verse, yeah? We're going to memorize a Bible verse, okay? I know some of you are looking terrified right now. You couldn't remember what you ate for breakfast, but here it is. This is from uh, Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. So it's 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. Are you ready? Let's put that up on the screen. Here's the verse. Pray continually. <laughs> Have you got it? Let's say it out loud together. Ready? One, two, three. Pray continually. Okay, take it off the screens. Let's see if we can do that again. One, two, three. Pray continually. Yeah, you got it. You're doing great. You've learned your first memory verse for the year ahead. Okay. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and and ask them where that verse came from. Okay, just where that verse came from. All right. Okay, there it is. Pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17, you're doing well in the spiritual discipline of Bible reading. We'll be talking about that one in a couple of weeks' time. But here it is. You see, prayer for Jesus wasn't something that he compartmentalized. It was ongoing. Jesus was constantly in prayer. It encompassed all of his life. You may remember that Jesus went away for times where he found solitude in times with God in prayer. And that's true. That's really important. But there's other times where you're reading scripture and all of a sudden it's like Jesus just starts to talk about openly what's happening with his conversation that's happening with God, with those around him. Remember in uh, John chapter 11 and you've got Jesus there uh, at the the, the, the burial of, of, um, well, he's already been dead and buried a couple of days now of Lazarus, and he's there to resurrect him, and no one else knows that, but Jesus is kind of just talking out loud, but he's having this conversation with his Father in heaven as he does so, and he says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. It's almost like we, we get an inside understanding of an ongoing conversation that Jesus is having with the Father all of the time. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Jewish prayer was like that. Jewish prayer encompassed every area of life. Sometimes I just think I'm so incredibly spiritual if I've spent half an hour in prayer. Anyone else like that, you know? These guys, that Jewish prayer was continuous. It was, it was like breathing. It was like living. It was like, you know, for me, like eating just all the time. Life was prayer offered up over and over 
to God each moment of every day. Paul talks about that in this letter to the Thessalonians in the context of our memory verse, just a little bit broader than that. If you take the verse before and the verse afterwards, it says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we're always in this ongoing continual dialogue with the Father in heaven. If you can learn to spend one ordinary day with Jesus, you can spend your every day with Jesus one day at a time. Jack Hayford said that prayer is essentially a partnership of the redeemed child of God, working hand in hand with God toward the realization of his redemptive purposes on earth. This partnership, this ongoing nature of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, we're here to understand and hear our Father's voice to know what he would do and so that we can partner with him by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and this takes prayer. And regardless of what's gonna get thrown at you in the year ahead, being anchored in the discipline of prayer is gonna be something that helps you no matter what's thrown at you. Prayer for Jesus was firstly one of praise. And so if we're gonna model our lives on him as being the the followers of Jesus, and if we're gonna model it on a lifestyle like his, you need to know that first and foremost, Jesus' lifestyle of prayer was one of praise. The Jewish people had a a word for this, in fact. The the word is barakah. It means to have an ongoing blessing, ongoing rejoicing of wonder and of praise and of thanksgiving and of acknowledgement to God's divine blessing in every situation. We've kind of been practicing that this morning in our worship. When we say that God is good, we're blessing him regardless of situation or circumstance. We stop alone to say, yes, God, you're great in all that you are. In fact, for the Jewish people, this was a 100 prayers a day of barakah, of praise, of adoration, thanksgiving, of just stopping to, to remember who the, the one who's blessing us is. I'm lucky if I can come up with a couple a day, right? A hundred a day. That works out in a 24-hour period of giving up a prayer of thanksgiving, of blessing every 15 minutes, inclusive of the times you're asleep. So take out your sleep time and just add that in. Every five minutes or so, you're, you're, you're giving up one of these prayers. That was their lifestyle. This was the way of Jesus in prayer. So Berica looks something a little bit like this. It said, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, whose strength is and power fill the world. When you see the mountains, when you see the rivers, you see maybe the desert, you say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who accomplishes the work of creation. Do you get the idea? It's just whatever you see, you start to filter it through in a way of praise, a way of blessing. When you wake up, you're supposed to say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who's delivered me from darkness and given me the dawn of a new day. That would be the first prayer that comes out of their mouth. No matter what you did, no matter what was happening, the prayer on your lips was meant to be, blessed, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, and then whatever you see, you just start to bless him and praise him for it. No matter what was happening, 
So it means when I should pray when my neighbor's dog is barking incessantly, I should so much be able to stop and say, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who has created dogs with breath that allows them to bark incessantly. Because? You can see this in the prayer of Jesus. It pops out occasionally just in some of the recordings that we see. In Luke chapter 11, verse 2, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy is your name. Luke 10, 21, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned. You've revealed it to little children. Do you hear the language? Again, John chapter 11, uh, where we, we read from before. Father, I thank you because you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. John 17, just before he goes to the cross, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. There's this ongoing, regardless of circumstance, opportunity to be able to come before God and to utter a a prayer on a continual basis of thanksgiving, a blessing of praise. And and Berakar, this prayer for a Jewish person was far more important than any petition, any asking of something. Because the ultimate purpose of every petition, if you think about it, is to enable the petitioner, that's us, the one asking, to fulfill his or her work, which is ultimately to praise God forever. The chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And it starts with an utter of praise. Now, unfortunately, they they made it like into a religious ritual that just became like a rule that if you didn't make the hundred, you know, something bad had happened, all the rest of it. But, you know, as Christians, we could take something on board. They didn't even have the revelation of Jesus at that point in time of what was happening in their lives. And we do. We should be the happiest people on earth. We should be the most thankful people on earth. We should be the most rejoicing people on earth. We should be able to look at our God in all circumstance and situation and be able to have something of praise giving and bubbling joy up from our hearts onto our lips as the the hallmark of every believer. Try it sometime. Just try it for an hour a day. You know, like each hour ticks over, put a little reminder on on your clock or something like that on your phone. And just stay, hey, you know, just start to praise God. Just start to thank Him. Just start to bless Him for what's right in front of you right at that moment, right at that time. See, if praising God first doesn't transform your prayer life, you know, we need to be building in a deeper, richer understanding of prayer. And it starts with blessing. So Jesus, in his model of continuously praying, was always giving thanks, always giving praise, but he was also incredibly passionate. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, we read of this about Jesus. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Ever seen pictures of the Wailing Wall in in Israel? Maybe you've been there and done that, I don't know, and you've seen. But you have these very devout Jews that this this special wall and they're putting their prayers, their requests into that wall and they stand there and a lot of nodding and bowing, a lot of just prayer and you can see the passion in in their prayers to want to be heard. There's this this real ongoing of the, the human heart coming out. The passion, the struggle, 
the honesty, the torment sometimes of our human condition, the lives we're leaving, living in, contending with God. And you can read the honesty all the way through scriptures. I love the way the psalmist often brings this out. Psalm 10 verse 1, just as illustration, says, Why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Because sometimes it feels like that's the case, right? We know it's not true. We know it's as close as the air in which we breathe. But sometimes we can feel very distant. He says, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? See, prayer is universal because it speaks to a human basic need. Thomas Merton put it like this. He said, prayer is an expression of who we are. We are living in completeness. We are a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. In prayer, we break silence sometimes with words that flow out of our deeper, most inner being parts of us. Spontaneous, heartfelt, passionate prayer is really important. And just a news flash, it's not an evangelical thing, right? It just didn't happen with the, the start of the evangelical church. We kind of like to think that where the start was. Do you know that there wasn't a, a written prayer book in, in Hebrew for the Jews until 700 AD? It was actually considered a sin to be able to write out your prayers before that. Why? Because they were supposed to come from here. For a Jewish person like Jesus in his day, in his ongoing constant prayer life, if we want a model of that, it's got to come out of here. It's got to be something that is passionate, that just rises up out of our innermost being, that we actually get real with God. Sometimes I think we can just get so proper in prayer, so worried about what we say and how we say it, we forget all that prayer is, this honest dialogue in relationship with the creator of the universe. That's a pretty awesome statement. Honest dialogue with the creator of the universe. If we aren't free when we pray, we can sometimes just become a slave to tradition. What prayer is really all about is the excavation of the human heart before God. The funny thing is he knows it already, right? He knows what you're thinking. He knows what's in here. But in our ability to be able to call him in and allow him to, to, to not only that he, we know he already knows, but to invite him into that space as we offer it up, as we become honest, as we become passionate. Something really powerful about that. I think God craves our honesty. He craves our sincerity, our human dialogue and passion and joy and in sorrow, in grief and in times of, of, of happiness. I think God would rather have our honest grief as we pour out our heart to him than a dispassionate rote prayer that conveys nothing but niceties, nice words. And sometimes I think that Jesus who prayed with tears and cries and pleadings might sometimes politely be asked to quieten down a little in a formal prayer meeting. I think that's why sometimes prayer meetings can get pretty boring. They lacked passion sometimes, maybe the honesty, the heartfelt love for Jesus. And I know that sometimes that's cultural. There's different cultures express themselves differently. Different people in different personalities express themselves differently. I'm not asking you to weep and cry for the sake of displaying passion. Just simple honesty, simple passion, heartfelt prayer is what God's looking for.
It's so easy to slip into thinking that we're being real in prayer when perhaps maybe we're not. And that's just a, a heart check that we have with God first. Continuous prayer of Jesus in his example that he sets for us to also be in continuous prayer is one that has praise coming out of our lips all of the time as we look around and we put it through a filter of thanksgiving and praise to him. And secondly, that it comes from a place of reality in what's happening in our lives and we honestly dialogue with him. And lastly, and I think probably most importantly, and it hinges itself onto the back of the last point, and that is that prayer for Jesus was about intimacy with his father. Intimacy is so incredibly important in your prayer life and your relationship with God in general. And prayer is as like a transaction rather than an intimate relationship can just decline into some you know, religious practice, more of a duty rather than a joy. An occasional and awkward exercise, little connection to what's really happening. But that's not what God wants out of prayer. Sometimes I think we do the duty so that God might owe us one. When we lived in, in India, we would go past shrines all of the time and temples and other things. And, and you know, at every little shrine under a tree and beside a road on the corner of somewhere, there would, you'd see the offerings that come. You know, food offerings and flower offerings and other sorts of offerings. And they're almost to appease the gods, you know, to make yourself right and happy with them so that you can get the blessing of what that particular God wants to give, right? That's kind of how it pours out. And, and the thing is that when we try to do that with God, we, we come into a false understanding of who he really is and what he really wants from us. Prayer should never be a transaction in which we come to do our duty so that God owes us one. Went to church, we prayed. I hope I get your blessing this week. Intimacy is the main purpose of prayer. And it's through relationship that God entrusts us to the secrets of his heart. Just imagine that. Just, I know we, we hear it all the time. It's so easy for us to become just so blasé about sentences like that. You ever felt the connection when someone trusts you with something? It's precious. It's a thought. It's an emotion. It's a an idea, but they're wanting to share it with you and you feel that real connection about sharing it with them and you feel like, wow, they get me, they understand me, they know me. The creator of the universe wants to share the secrets of his heart with you. Okay, I'm the only one excited about that concept. <laughs> wow. Wow. How incredible, what an intimate thing that the God of the universe wants to be able to talk and share his heart for what he wants to be doing in the world around us that he loved and created with us. How amazing. Prayer is not designed to change God, it's designed to change us. Prayer is not asking God just to bless our activities. Rather, prayer takes us into God's presence and, and shows us his will and prepares us to obey him. And Jesus' prayer life is characterized by just one small word, 
One word that if you glance over it too quickly, you'll miss the importance of it. One word that if you glance over it too quickly, you miss the, the beauty of the whole gospel. The disciples heard that one little word uttered through the lips of Jesus in prayer and were absolutely astounded. No one ever had talked to God like this before. And that one tiny little word, it spoke volumes about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the mighty Lord, creator, ruler of the whole universe. And that one little word uttered in the garden just before his crucifixion with the cross looming large before him. Jesus calls out in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Abba, Father. You see, God had been described as a father in the Old Testament many times before, but it's all like a father figure. He's like the head of the family. That's the, the idea of the father that's been mentioned previously in scriptures. But when Jesus uses this word, Abba, Father, to those that are now with him, they, they kind of get astonished and taken back. He's referring to God like a child would return to their father, Abba, Daddy. It's a word of intimate affection. Papa, daddy. A babyish word, really. And yet Jesus used it when talking to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the universe. Abba, dad, I need some help. I'm going to the cross. I don't really want to do it. I'm struggling here. And so then Jesus shows us that prayers, the, the natural cry of the young child for a parent, the natural outpouring of a younger self we once knew, the vulnerable part of us that we're told by the world to hide and put away, the early safety of being dependent and not being judged for it, loved and delighted in. And this is so hard for successful people to get a hold of. But that's the scandal of the gospel. It's in our weaknesses he's made strong. It's in our uttering Abba at the bubbling of young infants when we truly start to pray. Paul would write later in Romans chapter 8, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And what's the cry of a young child but desperately needy, completely honest, full of passion? wanting the attention and nurturing and the adoration of their parent. Not in charge, but simply the recipient of all good things. We're too sophisticated, I think, sometimes. We're too in charge a lot of the time. Yet in the Gethsemane of our lives, in the year ahead, where the things are going to come that we didn't know were coming, we're going to need to be anchored in a prayer, a prayer life, a discipline of prayer, the way that Jesus was, one that is intimate with his Father, one that relies on him for everything, one that is passionate and real and comes from our heart, one that's on a continual basis wanting to just lift up 
words of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. And that word Abba, I think it comes running to find us sometimes because we found ourselves in honest prayer. In times we realize Abba is far more available than we dared even imagine or dream. And this is what we need to open our hearts to. A prayer life that is anchored in honesty and passion and, and joy and thanksgiving. Are you prepared to trust him? Are you prepared to go into this year not really knowing what it holds, as much as the aspirations are there? And are those aspirations ones in which reflect, first and foremost, being a disciple of Jesus, living the way he lived? Do they contain prayer? Jesus knew the effectiveness and the power of prayer. He had that intimate relationship with the Father that created both the motivation and the desire to spend time with Him. Will that be the hallmark of why we come on a Sunday? Will it be the hallmark of why we open the Word in the morning? Will it be the hallmark of when we open our eyes in the morning, we thank God for delivering us from the darkness and the dawn of the new day? Will it be the hallmark of when we go through the day, every moment of the day, at the end of the day, Will this intimacy that drew out of Jesus a passionate, honest outpouring both of praise and intercession on a constant basis be in our lives as well? We need to model a life of dependency upon God and it comes through prayer. And it'll kind of anchor us if we get it. You don't have to be good at it, but if we get it, if we get the idea to just be in conversation with God all of the time, you know, it's going to take us a heck of a lot further than, you know, trying to be all prescribed about it. But the dependency, the shifting of the way in which we think, the repentance, really, the transforming of our mind to come into the same mindset of God on these things. That's going to anchor us in this year ahead. Intimate, passionate, praise-filled prayer on a continual basis. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.